Antibiotic resistance is getting a lot of attention through your scary scenarios of health calamities and are offered food products that have raised without antibiotic claims. There's a clear need to understand the issue better so that we can make informed choices, and that's our objective today. My name is Mike Von Masso from the University of Guelph, and this is Food Focus, the podcast. My guests today are Stephen Roche and Dan Schock from Acer Consulting. They are epidemiologists who work in animal health research and communications. We talk about what antibiotic resistance is, how it forms, how worried we should be about it, and what we can do. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please provide a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and other common platforms, or you can continue to get it at foodfocusguelph.ca website. This helps other people find us. Now, here's my conversation with Stephen Dick. Gentlemen, thanks for taking the time. Thanks what I wanted to talk to you. you talk to you about today is is to address some of the sort of uncertainty around antibiotics use and antibiotic resistance. Because we're hearing a lot about it, and I think many of us who don't do what you guys do and live it and think it every day really don't have a good understanding of it. So let's start at the basics. What is antibiotic resistance, and should we be worried about it? Mm-hmm. See, I'll, I'll take this one. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think, so I I always kind of liken it to, as a veterinarian, it's kind of like our climate change. Um, So is it a problem? I'll start with that. I think it is a huge concern, a huge problem uh, that we need to take some pretty pretty big steps to try and address. So what is it? So basically, I mean, a lot of microbiologists might uh, blast me for this, but I'll just (laughs) boil it down to a nutshell, right? That's what we're hoping for, yeah. Uh, usually when we talk about antimicrobial resistance, we're mostly talking about antibiotic resistance. And yeah. so antibiotics are drugs that are designed to either slow the growth or kill bacteria. So when mm-hmm. we talk about antibiotic resistance, we're really talking about those bacteria evolving mechanisms to uh, survive in the presence of those drugs that are meant to kill them. Okay. So, in a nutshell, that's pro- that's essentially what what it is. So, so, so that is an evolutionary process, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't. It's not like we're creating resistant bugs. It's mm-hmm. essentially that we're favoring mm-hmm. resistant bugs. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? So, so there are there is a certain population that have resistance, mm-hmm. and through various mechanisms. Yeah. We're they selecting. transfer that we're yep. selecting and, selecting and, and they're that. transferring that genetic yep. One of the really cool things, I don't know, if we can find a link to put this in your podcast, yeah. like uh, Harvard University did kind of a real-time study on the development of resistance in a yeah. population of bacteria. So they grew, it's a big, huge, rectangular kind of agar uh, plate. Yeah. And they grew bacteria in various concentrations of antibiotics starting on the outside zero antibiotics and then they slowly gradually increase the uh, antibiotic concentration towards the middle so you can actually watch these bacteria grow and develop the ability to grow within antibiotics so you can kind of see it everything grows all at once and then stops once they hit the antibiotics first and then there might be one bacteria that has it and starts growing into the next chapter so it's kind of Hard to do justice in, in oh, well, audio, if, but if, if, if you have the link, we will oh, include it. Oh man, it's amazing! Yeah, it's something that you can watch real time, and it just gets you to appreciate. Or not real time; they've they've obviously yeah. uh, accelerated, forward, yeah. accelerated it. Yeah. But you can it really makes you appreciate the fact that these living beings really have a generation time of like twenty minutes. So 
the fact that they can develop resistance and you know pass it on and promulgate it towards through generations is just uh, it's mind-boggling when you consider you know the the time frames we're dealing with here. So so we've developed these bacteria. Let's focus on bacteria. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are other microbials that likely matter, but let's focus <laughs> that that are resistant. And and the problem becomes that we've for ones that are that are bad for us, pathogenic that cause disease, mm-hmm. we can't treat them as well anymore. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. that's the issue. We hear a lot about it. Is it a separate issue in human medicine than it is in animal agriculture, or is it one big issue? What's well, I mean, it's really one big issue at the end of the day, in a sense, and that's because we're using uh, antibiotics that are of in agriculture or in animals, I should say, in, in paying animals to our pets that uh, are used in, in humans. And so if uh, the use is, is significantly higher in, in animals, in agriculture and so on, uh, and we're contributing to the development of resistance to some way, then ultimately we'll see that resistance appear or affect us and our ability to treat human conditions. Okay, so one of the concerns, and I, I think that's exactly, that's perfect description of it. One of the concerns people will express and say, well, the, the bugs are different. Things that are bad for my dog, our herd of cattle, these pigs are different than those that are pathogenic to or, or bad for us. So if we're using the same medicine, but we're developing bugs that are resistant, but are separate, do we still have to worry about, mm-hmm. uh, do, we, do we still have to worry about sort of the transfer of resistance to things that matter to us as humans? Totally. And a lot of that is kind of uh, coming to light. Uh, with a lot of the research lens that we're studying antibi- yeah. antibiotic resistance now. So we kind of take a one health approach to antibiotic or to, to health, right? So recognizing that we're all, you know, intimately interconnected within this world, uh, humans, animals, the environment, everything has a complex interplay and everything affects each other too. So when you take that lens to it, it, it does make sense that, you know, there is some interplay and, and interaction too. And when you, when you mentioned, you know, transfer of resistance. So if we are creating resistance in one species of bacteria, the not so good thing about it is that some of these elements, so these elements of DNA can actually transfer to a completely other uh, species of bacteria just from being in proximity to the one that does have resistance. So it's things that you can call it horizontal transfer. So transfer to bacteria that are not, you know, genetically related. So they share DNA. They right? can share DNA. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. So, so that's so. So, so it matters. Concern. What matters if it, if it's over here in a hog barn and over here in a in an ear infection and <laughs> in a kindergarten student, even though those bacteria may be different, there there is the potential <laughs> not immediately, but sort of over time for those for those yeah. things to become an issue. And then you just have to evaluate, so what are the possible channels that that bacteria yeah. in that swine barn could possibly come in contact or get to that uh, person or the person in the public or that child in the public or yeah. Joe public in general. And so what are, what are some of the channels? And I think uh, there, there are a couple ways that could be direct contact. Maybe that, that child in kindergarten, his father is a, is a hog farmer. So maybe, you know, from the farmer, farmer Joe's everyday dealings with some of his sick animals, he could be taking some resistant bacteria along with him and transferring that to other people. So in the, in the public and that sort of thing, it could also get to, to people through the environment. 
because we often, a lot of these antibiotics are excreted in feces and urine uh, relatively unchanged or still in their active form. So that's uh, extruded into the environment and that could come in contact with our drinking water and that sort of, uh, and that sort of channel. Or also in, in our food that we handle and that we prepare as well, too. There could be a certain degree of antimicrobial-resistant bacteria present on that, on that uh, meat that could transfer to humans. Um, so th- those are all possible mechanisms that that resistance could get from that animal population to the human population. So these are all the things that a lot of researchers and, are saying. Yeah, and, and, and those are things that we're exploring. So the, the truth, though, is that if... There are, you know, from a food safety perspective, we understand we should cook meat mm-hmm. the, yep. and all of those for, for a variety of reasons. But, it, you know, you use the example of a hog farmer and maybe taking something in their hair or on their skin out, mm-hmm. transferring it. That doesn't necessarily mean that that, and that I just want to be clear that mm-hmm. that bug will make their kids sick and they, have exactly. they shouldn't. What it, what it means is. We've built a bridge mm-hmm. where a variety of antibiotics can come into contact with other with each other and potentially transfer. That's a great way of putting it, Mike. Yeah, because yeah. 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 <laughs> we yeah. spend a lot of time really devising. You know, what are the possible channels that yeah. this could happen? This might even be. I don't even. There are a lot of people that are working really hard to try and ascribe. You know, a level of you know what the risk is with each one of those channels. Uh, based on a lot of you know molecular techniques, and a microbiologist would be able to better answer this question than I would. But I mean, it might be something you know relatively unknowable to say. Okay, this is the proportion of blame on this uh, uh, for this channel versus this channel versus this channel. So it's from my my perspective, it's probably a little bit lower than a lot of the other possible ways that resistance could develop in humans. But um, it's it's potential, right? So it's, it's a always, potential. It's, yeah. It, you know, many people will argue it's a fairly low risk. Yes, but but it is there, and and we and we should be thinking about. It. Yeah. I'm in the low risk camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I just want to go a little deeper on that on that issue of sort of the bridge, as I called it. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think is a clear misconception in in many consumers' minds is that the use of an, and may have contributed not to, to, mm-hmm. to that confusion is that people think, well, these animals are treated with antibiotics, and then I eat the meat, and I'm exposed to the antibiotics. Exactly. You raise the issue that it could be in urine, it can be mm-hmm. in feces, and then yep. and then get out into the broader environment. But it's unlikely that we are consuming antibiotics in our meat, yeah. and that that is contributing to resistance. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. so you, yeah, you uh, hit a really... Uh, thing that kind of gets to a lot of vets too, right? I mean, the, the fact that we've got so much training in the science and we know how these drugs work and it was really hammered home in vet school. Uh, every time you reach for a drug, it should be necessary for the health and welfare of this animal. And because we are veterinarians, we're safeguarding not only animal health, but also uh, human health because we're both interacting with these animals and we're consuming uh, these animals or their products. Mm-hmm. So we have the duty to society to make sure that anything that we do to these animals doesn't harm society. So one of those things is making sure that that animal has cleared all of the antibiotics that we've treated them with, right? So that was one of the big things that's hammered home in vet school. It's hammered home every day in practice. 
there's regulations on farmers, you know, with how long these these animals need to be withheld from the food system so before their antibiotics are cleared. So I think that's one of the really common misconceptions. And whenever I see antibiotic-free, I always think, my goodness, I, I really don't want uh, the welfare of these animals to, to be suffering because we've got this misconception that conventionally raised meat yeah. is laden with antibiotics when that's just not the case. Yeah, yeah. And that, that uh, Dan's got a lot of good points in there. And I think that's important for consumers to know is that, you know, the there's a lot of topics you've talked to a lot of folks about different issues, animal welfare, traceability, other things like that, that we associate with the food supply chain today. The first components of the quality assurance programs as we know them today have been about food safety. Yeah. And and that that comes down to what are the residues chemicals, antibiotics in meat and milk. And that's the the one of the focal points and the, the thesis of these quality assurance programs to make sure that the products that are, are put out there are safe for human consumption. So it's very closely evaluated, regulated, and monitored on a consistent basis by farmers and all the processors and, and other folks in the supply chain as they yeah, go through. And, and I think that's an important point because I think a common misconception is that my meat is laden with, with antibiotics yeah. and people yeah. don't understand the regulatory environment that says that we've, we've done the research and we know that this animal uh, can't be harvested for X amount of days after it's been treated just to ensure that that product has been. Mm-hmm. The, the, you, you, this is a bit of an aside, a tangent. Yeah. Uh, it's our podcast. We, <laughs> we <laughs> do a tangent if we want. want us, right? <laughs> uh, and so is that the, the whole issue of antibiotic-free, you're right, all of our products should be antibiotic free because of the withdrawal and there's testing and all this. Yes. Now there is a difference between animals that are raised without the use of antibiotics mm. and and ones for which there is antibiotic use and we may get into that in a little bit more detail later. Then we talked about the relative risk and while there may be disagreements, are there things that we are doing to reduce the risk however big that risk is and what are some of those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can touch on a couple. Um, there's quite a lot that's been that's being done, and and yeah, I guess the the real answer is there's a non-zero risk, and so if you contribute to the problem, everyone's got a role to play, and so what can we do? And I guess start that starts in some ways with the government. So there are regulations and new regulations that have come into play in the last year or so uh, that focus on a vet client patient relationship. So we recognize that veterinarians are experts as Dan's highlighted here uh, on this issue. And so bringing them into conversations about when to treat, what to treat, how to treat them. So prudent use of antimicrobials essentially. Um, But there's a lot more on what can be brought into the country. What can you use when it comes to what's on the label and how you use that. Another more specific details related to the use and access of antimicrobials at the farm level. And I think that's really important when it comes to how some of these antimicrobials get administered. Is it done through water or through the feed or is it a direct injection, for example? So looking at the roots of administration and some of the ways that that producers make decisions about treatment, I think is really important. And some of the regulatory changes have helped us towards that path, but there's a lot more that needs to be done with respect to what we're calling stewardship. And maybe I'll let Dan jump into some of those things. Yeah. So Steve hit the hammer or the, the, the nail on the head. Uh, right there. I think a lot of the regulations and the most recent one this past December was that the move from all uh, all drugs that we use in animals that are important in humans have been moved to prescription-only status. Mm-hmm. So that means that 
previously a producer might have been able to access these antibiotics without a prescription. Uh, now they need to go through a veterinarian. So they need to have this uh, relationship established with a vet before they access these antibiotics, right? So that's, that's one of the changes. Another one uh, we've realized, you know, uh, we've thrown out uh, all growth promotion claims on uh, on all our, our medically important uh, antibiotics. So if it had a growth promotion claim on it, that's stripped from the label. And if they didn't have another claim, so if they didn't have a claim to treat uh, disease, then that drug has gone away. So there's been a couple examples in, in some of the different species where the drug has actually gone gone away because we don't have another indication on that label and the, the company can't provide the data uh, or don't have the data to support another indication within that time frame, right? Mm-hmm. So that's so, gone. So just to, just to be clear, in case I understand what you're saying, but if, <laughs> a, if a listener, an indication is a drug has a label yeah. and the, the label says this is how you can use the exactly. drug and for which type of issue. Yeah. yeah. And historically, some products have had indications for the promotion of growth. Mm-hmm. So they were used for long periods of time in the life of that animal, mm-hmm. mostly practically to reduce the disease challenge and so that the energy that that animal consumes can go exactly. largely to growth. It isn't actually, yep. it, it's not like a growth promoter, really. It is a, mm-hmm. it, it is creating a, an ideal environment for that animal to thrive exactly. in. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, but so those, those claims are gone, mm-hmm. and given the non-zero risk, and given we're seeing excellent progress in terms of, although although I, I guess progress is probably the wrong word, I would argue to a significant degree there was responsible use of antibiotics on farms for a variety of reasons. Yep, farmers care. Veterinarians have historically been involved. Mm-hmm. There was significant government regulation, which we've tweaked. We haven't started from scratch. We've, exactly. We've, we've tweaked it. Mm-hmm. But the question could arise, and we've seen some people come out and say, if there is this non-zero risk, some of these changes probably didn't get it to zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just reduced it. Yep. Why should we use antibiotics at all? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, that's a re- that's a really good question. I mean, um, so for me, I think it's the right thing to do. We're raising these animals. I, I think you know every day we're coming up with new ways of preventing disease, things like vaccines, antibiotic alternatives, uh, management strategies. Uh, you know, improvements to the facility, deeper understanding of you know like stocking densities and, and ventilation, and all these different things, ways to prevent disease. But disease still does happen if, if we're raising these animals for, for our consumption, right? So for me, it's, I think it's the right thing to do because uh, a lot of these cases that, that uh, these animals that are getting sick can be cured with antibiotics that we use, right? So it's just trying to, you know, streamline use and, and you know, use these antibiotics only when they're necessary, right? So as, mu- as little as possible, as much as necessary. Mm-hmm. To cure these animals because it's a welfare concern if we just that, watch that, these that, that was my die. point exactly is, yeah. is is we wouldn't we, we are stewards of these animals and we wouldn't withhold treatment from an individual exactly it might develop resistance later that's on right, right? Yeah. We, want, yeah. we have a duty that's right to exactly. to, to treat disease yeah and, I, and i'll make the comment too i mean you, like you said it earlier about growth promotion claims i think it's a good point 
point that Dan's getting to, which is creating the ideal environment for animals to thrive in. And so growth promotion claims have, or growth promotion agents have done that, but that's ultimately the concept of management, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to always improve, constantly improve. We talk to any farmer, no one's looking for status quo. They are mm-hmm. looking to say, what can I do to improve and enhance the environment that my animals are in to thrive in? Because using antibiotics, especially uh, imprudently, costs money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... No farmers out here to to just spend money or throw money away. So, and the other comment agriculture on, is a low margin business. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And if we can drive the, the, the entire food system. It's a is bottom a line. Margin, yeah. is, a, is a low margin business. Yeah. And so, if we can do other management practices to improve mm-hmm. the, the biosecurity or reduce the disease burden. Yep. Vaccines, biosecurity, mm-hmm. the the access to barns is a lot less open than it used to be mm-hmm. you know when i was a fresh grad out at you know and working at the feed business mm-hmm. we could walk into almost any barn that <laughs> right? it, it, that, that just doesn't yeah. happen anymore exactly. i understand the transfer the transfer yeah. you know if you do walk into a barn you know full cover and then you take all of those clothes off often have to shower that those sorts of biosecurity things become very important mm-hmm. and they get to the point that you raised earlier that it's not just about how we use antibiotics there there are other pathways mm-hmm. for which and and so biosecurity it's much much less likely that someone's going to carry exactly. an antibiotic out of, barn, out of the you know, barn they're showering yeah. out of the barn they're wearing clothes in the barn that are specific to the barn mm-hmm. people who don't need to be in the barn aren't in the barn mm-hmm. all of those things as a way of uh, reducing both incoming and outgoing exactly so so and, and I understand that you guys focus on on animal agriculture, and but animal agriculture is getting a lot of the attention. Mm-hmm. Before we started recording, you raised Steve the the, uh, the issue of companion animals. We we also know that perhaps we've overused antibiotics in human medicine. Mm-hmm. So, are are we changing how we use antibiotics across the board? Yeah, it's a good question, and you probably need uh, uh, to fill every seat in the <laughs> yeah, table yeah. here uh, with different folks to yeah. properly answer that question. But I mean, I, I think, I mean, certainly, I would be lying if I said, as a as an individual, received antibiotics at some point in time. Did I finish that lot, the full course of antibiotics? Yeah. You know, so as as humans, You're evil uh, man, yeah, yeah. But, but that's the kind of stuff that, that's you know that happens, right? <laughs> yeah. people, people are not finishing the course of antibiotics. They feel which better. Is an issue. They just don't think about it. That's right, and, forget, and, and so and them. that's a mechanism for creating resistance and and so that's a that's an issue and and yeah on the companion animal side we use these antibiotics or antimicrobials uh in our in our pets and you know they spend a lot more time in closer proximity to us and our children than uh, a cow or a pig or a chicken do for most of us yeah and these these ones are are licking our face and things like that Yeah, my dog sleeps with me yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's evil on that side right so there's evil that's right everywhere and so it's one of those things talk about talk about that bridge or that pathway well there we just made a a pretty good uh, connection there right in terms of the ability for these things to be passed. So we've all got a role to play. I think that Dan coined that phrase for an initiative we're working on to promote education about antimicrobial stewardship and resistance. And we all have a role to play, each one of us, whether we're farmers, individual citizens, or a member of a various organization looking at this issue from different sides. Yeah. Yeah. So so Dan, you, you, you said early that for animal agriculture, antibiotic resistance, and it, and it's not just an issue for humans. It's mm-hmm. also an issue to making sure that we can treat 
diseases in animals on an ongoing exactly. basis. Exactly, totally. It's not just the issue of transference, it's the issue of ongoing efficacy in all applications. Called it sort of animal agriculture's climate change. Mm-hmm. And so... Well, I think it's everyone's, it's, it's, yeah, it's medicine's it's, it's, it's climate medicine's, change. It's okay, yeah, medicine's yeah, climate totally. And so we, we've, we've talked about a lot of things that, that we're doing and that we continue to learn and will continue to do. On a day-to-day basis, is it something... Two questions. Is it something that, that, that the average individual should be worried about? Mm-hmm. You know, should it be keeping people up at night or are there good people working on it? And the second thing is, as an individual, are there things that I can do? You know, there'd be people who argue there are things we can do as individuals to contribute to the reduction of emissions. But are there things that we can do as individuals to contribute to the reduced risk of, of resistance? That's a good question, Mike. Another good question. So a lot of the time, uh, I think historically, doctors have felt pressure to prescribe antibiotics by a lot of their patients. So I think maybe part of that can be on us. I know I've, we've gone to the doctor. My my son's had really bad ears for quite some time. So we've had a lot of antibiotics and that sort of thing. Uh, but we've had certain cases where the doctors, you know, given us a prescription and said, only fill this if you think... Uh, if he doesn't improve after X number of days. So I think one of the big things we can do as maybe a patient is to say, I've got trust in the training and the experience of this doctor. If they think it's viral, then maybe I don't need this prescription because it's not going to, it's not going to do that for me. So little things like trusting in your health professional yeah. that they know what's in your, in your, your best interest, right? Uh, for, for that sort of thing, maybe not putting as much pressure on them. We can't really use a lot of antibiotics, so they're fairly tightly controlled by, by uh, physicians with, mm-hmm. through prescriptions. So that'd be the one thing that the everyday person could do. Uh, I think in, in agriculture, a lot of farmers, this is, this is kind of top of mind for them, and they're always looking for different ways to prevent disease. So that next vaccine, that next alternate product, be it a, something like a probiotic uh, that sort of thing, a different way of managing their animals to try and prevent the disease. Because no one really wants to see their animals get sick. And when they do get sick, they want to do the right thing. So it's having those conversations with farmers to make sure that they're using these antibiotics at the right time and to the right amounts. Because sometimes maybe you might not have been asking those those important questions that you should have, but now it's become uh, more in the forefront in the vet profession where we're starting to have a lot of these conversations and really making sure that all these antibiotics are being used appropriately. And if you have a viral challenge, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And antibiotics not going to do you a lot of good. Exactly. A lot lot more diagnostics being done just to make sure that we're using these antibiotics in the the right situation. Things like mastitis, right? I I mean... Clinical mastitis in dairy cows, that's a that's an infection in their udders. Yeah. Upwards of 40% of those cases of mastitis are either uh, no bacterial growth or they might be gram negatives that might, might just spontaneously cure on their own. So knowing those two things, we wouldn't use antibiotics in those situations. So you can do more than 50% reduction in, in your usage from clinical mastitis perspective just by doing some diagnostics and knowing what you're treating, right? So just little things like that, that you can do on a daily basis that on aggregate can make a really big impact. Because one of the things we don't know 
everything there is to know about, and I think it was uh, about antimicrobial resistance. I think it was uh, one of the researchers in the States, Guy Lonergan, said that if you if you think you know everything about antibiotic resistance, you don't know enough, right? Yeah. So we don't know everything, but we do know that use drives resistance. So one of the biggest uh, plans, all these organizations, ag organizations, vet organizations, human physicians are really trying to reduce use and target it to where it's needed because we know use is one of the big risk factors that drives resistance, right? So, so, so on a day-to-day basis, and I think that's an important message, that people in agriculture are probably thinking about it much more proactively than we are as individuals, either as pet owners yeah. in small animal or we are as patients, you know. Exactly. My kids are older, but I... I remember those you, days? You, you, I remember the days <laughs> when the kids were young and you'd go in and, and many of us want an answer and we yeah. want... An action, and so I expect there's there's historically been, and and I expect that that also happened at the at the farm level when vets came in. For sure, we want totally feel like we're doing something. Totally, so so being conscious. I can go back uh, as we wrap up to the first question of the. Yeah, I think I'm going to start at number two. You started on number two. (laughs) Is is it is a big issue? Yes, It, it it has the potential to become a significant issue, and in some cases, in with some. Infections, it is already a significant issue. But is this something that should be keeping the average Canadian, the average North American, the average person anywhere up at night and saying, God, I'm really, you know, I should be cutting down on on meat or 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 anything or because I because I'm worried about antibiotic resistant bacteria? For me, I I, I <laughs> That's a really good question, Mike, because I know there, there are a lot of uh, organizations that are really working hard to, to grapple with this issue on a, you know, on a, on the broader perspective and whether or not it should keep you up at night. I, I, and so I think yeah. my answer to that question would be uh, as, <laughs> I you know, on a day to day basis, no. I don't think about it, right? Yeah. Wash your hands exactly. after you use the washroom, wash your hands after you've handled yeah. raw, raw food. If you go to a hospital, wash your hands before you go in. If you're feeling like you might be sick, you know, those are just disease management issues rather than antibiotic resistance management issues. Well, definitely for eating meat, like for me, I don't really have much of a concern for that just because, you know, I'll take dairy for example. I mean, we, there there have been studies for mastitis pathogens over Mm -hmm. the years and we're really not seeing an increase in resistance in mastitis pathogens. Uh, when you look at a lot of different things, I mean, is it becoming a huge issue for treatment uh, success in agriculture? I, I really don't see that being the case. Yeah. That's not to say that we can forget about this sort of thing. It has to be top of mind mm. for all the frontline workers. But for average Joe or Joanne and the public, I, I really don't think it needs to be something that keeps them up at night. Right? No. Yeah. 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 So I think we've gone sort of across the spectrum of things I wanted to ask talk about is, is there anything that either of you would add to, to someone who's curious about antibiotic use or curious about the issue of resistance that I didn't ask you yet hmm. I I mean we touched on it a little bit and, and just given knowing some of the conversations you've had with other folks and the yeah. type of listeners you might have I think there is merit among consumers in understanding uh, we have this uh, you know plethora of choice today in terms of these these value-added components to meat in the grocery store. And so when we look at the marketing campaigns associated with raised without antibiotics or hormone-free and all these things, which stem the resistance issue and many other things, 
be aware of, of, of what you're actually buying or be aware of the, the ramifications of, of some of these specific actions that are, that are being used as a marketing lever. Uh, and specifically raised without antibiotics. I mean, when Dan and I typically hear that kind of a campaign, I think of welfare first. I don't think mm-hmm. of lo- lower risk for my hamburger to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have concerns about that as a citizen about the welfare of animals that are being raised out there. Um, because like Dan said, I mean, if animals get sick and we get sick too, and we don't withhold treatment for, for uh, 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 the same reasons we shouldn't withhold treatment for animals. If there's an opportunity for cure, there's an opportunity to, to better the welfare of that animal that should be there. And if it's all about responsible use. So be aware, I guess, as a consumer of what you're buying and what is influencing you and what's really behind that, that campaign. Because uh, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of flashy uh, work being done to, to showcase and highlight yeah. different aspects of food. Explicitly, yeah. there are trade offs, right? It's, Absolutely. As, 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 as we as we reduce antibiotic use, we have to make sure that we are still ensuring welfare. Exactly, because that's I'm a city kid originally, and that's one of the big reasons that I got into animal agriculture is just working with farmers and knowing just how much they love their animals. I don't want to sound like too gushing over this, but it's true. I mean, these people have devoted their lives to the welfare of these animals. Um, And it's, it's been inspiring for me to be part of this part of this community because they care about what happens to these animals and they're not going to do something that would hurt them. They're not going to do something that would hurt the public because at the end of the day, these are consumers that are buying their products too. Right. So, um, And, and so, I think that's a great place to end, and and in spite of that, I'm going to add one more thing. (laughs) We also have to strike a balance. You know, people have this desire to know more about agriculture, to know more about animal agriculture, and sometimes they'll say, well, can I go see the farm? And and people will say, no, and we'll have special facilities, and some farms you can see, and some farms you can't. It's not because they're hiding something. It's, no. you, it's a biosecurity issue. Yeah, is, exactly. is they don't want you bringing things in and carrying things out, and and so we can't just have people willy nilly going into barns. And yeah, so, exactly. So, so so thinking about those sorts of things becomes an important an important thing as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time. Uh, yeah, I learned thanks, a couple Mike. of things. That's great. Uh, look forward to chatting again. All thanks, right. Mike. Thanks, Mike. wrap up another episode of Food Focus, I thought I would just take a quick moment to thank Molly Gallant, who really does the heavy lifting in producing this podcast. She does all the hard work. I get to have the interesting discussions. Thank Zachary Von Massow for the original music. Before we go, I'd like to remind you again about our foodfocusguelph.ca website. Check out our blog, updated at least weekly. Check out previous versions of the podcast. Check out our trends report and get in touch with us. Food Focus at uoguelph.ca. We'd love to have you send us comments, ideas, suggestions, and just to interact and hear what you're thinking about. Finally, if you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us wherever you get your podcast as this helps other people find us. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.